Hello, everyone. This is Food Talk executive producer Rob Perra. On today's episode, Danny chats with Raj Patel, research professor in the Lyndon B. Johnson School of Public Affairs at the University of Texas, about COVID-19's effect on food and farm workers. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Food Talk Live with Danny Nirenberg. Uh, during these really uncertain and chaotic times, Food Tank will continue to try to bring together really honest and blunt discussions uh, with experts through virtual convening. Uh, we think it's more important than ever before to have really honest discussions and sometimes some uncomfortable conversations about some of our most pressing problems in food and agriculture, and more importantly, to talk about the solutions. Um, keep in mind, as you've just experienced, we'll, we're, uh, this is a new thing for us. We'll, there will be some technical difficulties uh, every now and then, but we welcome your critiques and your suggestions and are really looking forward to having these conversations um, almost every day for the next couple of months. Um, uh, the solutions we're going to talk about is one of the reasons we invited Raj Patel, who is one of the people I most admire in the world, to be our guest today. Uh, no one is more blunt and solutions oriented than him. He's impossible to introduce, but let me just give you some of his accomplishments. He is currently a research professor at the Lyndon B. Johnson School of Public Affairs at the University of Texas. He is an activist, an advocate, and an author uh, with books like Stuffed and Starved and the History of the World and Seven Cheap Things, uh, which he co-authored with Jason Moore. He is also a member of the International Panel of Experts on sustainable food systems and has been working on a project with them for I think more than a year now on creating a new food policy for America, which I'm really excited to hear about. There are a whole bunch of other amazing things that Raj does on a, on a daily basis. But again, he's just one of the coolest people and the most brilliant really that I've ever met. And so it's just always an honor to talk to him. So um, I'm sorry I couldn't be with you at South by Southwest uh, in Austin, Raj, but thank you for joining us today. Danny, thank you so much for having me on. I'm afraid with an introduction like that, um, it's all going to be downhill from here. Um, <laughs> it won't be. <laughs> it can't but, be. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we're f figuring out uh, ways to do this. Yeah. And, and, and I'm, I'm excited to be your first COVID-19 guinea pig. Um, so... <laughs> And, you know, I mean, if, if we are going to be doing uh, social distancing for the foreseeable future, uh, I think we all can uh, kind of lean into this and, and figure out how it is that not only that you and I can have a conversation, but we can figure out ways of bringing more and more people into uh, what is absolutely a conversation we need to be having absolutely. about the future of the food system. Absolutely. There's no better time and the urgency could not be greater. First, I want to say how glad I am that you're healthy and that, you know, you're hunkering down at home with, with your family and I hope things are going well. I know it's a it's a crazy time in Austin like it is everywhere. It, it, thank you for asking. Yes, uh, we, we've, we've got a few confirmed cases, but um, people are pitching in uh, and uh, as they are around the world and it's, you know, uh, uh, one doesn't want to sort of uh, overdo the idea of a paradise built in hell. Um, but what's super interesting right now is that the the, the whole idea of an economy built on care um, right. is all we have right now. And Absolutely. it's really important to see and celebrate that and hang on to as much of it as we can and build as much of it as we can uh, now uh, and, and steal it for what is surely coming next. Well, can you talk more about that? I mean, I love that phrase, an economy of care. What does that actually mean and how can we get people involved in that? You know, so. 
here's the big picture. The Green New Deal uh, is an idea that um, has been sort of summed up in bumper sticker form as a vision of the future that's about caring and repairing. Think about what the low carbon work is. It's uh, the work of education, of healthcare, of uh, uh, caring for the soil, of farming, of feeding one another, um, of being involved in food service work, uh, and in general, uh, in being part of a, a circular economy where our hands matter. And that kind of economy uh, of care in the, in the broad sense of using the, the, the Marxist term is reproductive labor, but basically all the work that modern capitalism expects to happen for free or for very little money, uh, that kind of care work is um, uh, really what we're leaning into right now. And right, what we're right. also having to figure out ways of, of building, particularly as certain parts of this care economy are being disbanded and you know we're seeing for example food service workers uh laid off uh, and we're seeing their rights eroded in order to be able to pay for um the this uh, you know the, the the relief package that's coming through right now absolutely and i mean but this isn't the first time we've experienced something like this you know 10 years ago when h1n1 hit food service workers you know tried to uh Band, I mean, they have been banding together, but they tried to fight for paid sick leave and that didn't happen. Why are we still so far behind when it comes to respecting uh, not only food workers, but also farm laborers and, and farmers themselves? Well, I mean, in part, the food industry has been tremendously successful under both Obama and Trump administrations uh, in fighting off any attempts to legislate them. Uh, you know, yeah. e even with the emergency uh, legislation passed recently, um, you know, paid sick leave uh, won't reach uh, huge numbers of workers in the food system. Um, and, you know, we've got layers of, uh, of difficulty for food service workers right now. I mean, for example, non-resident workers uh, are afraid to ask for public assistance because right. under Trump's uh, rules, uh, being a, a public charge may disqualify them from green cards. Uh, you know, warehouse workers are being asked to work massive overtime uh, in close quarters while no one's looking after their kids. Restaurant workers right. are facing a uh, massive layoff. Undocumented right. workers don't know where to turn for healthcare or income support. Um, and, you know, in general, uh, across the board, information isn't reaching food service workers. Uh, and this is uh, you know, a, a sign of the power of, uh, you know, groups like the National Restaurant Association uh, right. and of the power of, of agribusiness. So, you know, it, it's not as if workers haven't been organizing because they have. The Food Chain Workers Alliance, um, the Restaurant Opportunity Center, uh, Rock United, all these amazing groups that you know and that you've provided, you know, that you've worked with and, and, and you know, interviewed and, and foregrounded their work. All of them are really pushing hard for this, but um, the industry has government's ear and they continue to. I mean, this is the, the great worry right now is that I'm seeing uh, all kinds of uh, chicanery behind the scenes. So right. workers' rights are er eroded in order in this time of emergency to pay for right. um, you know, the, the $2,000 that are going to come and then disappear in a rent payment or in a copay uh, for treatment. Absolutely. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that I'm like so, you know, uh, irritated about right now. You know, we're blaming the wrong people for COVID-19 or coronavirus, whatever we want to call it. And I think that because this is, you know, a uh, similar to H1N1, this was a, is a, is a disease, you, you know, that is 
is spread by hands, you know, and people are touching our food system in different ways from farmers to food workers to distributors. And, and I don't, you know, what I fear is that food, food folks get, get blamed for this rather than the, the, the real culprits. And, and that's, a, I think, a problem that, that needs more awareness and, and, and more advocacy around. Who is it that now is absolutely vital in uh, supporting the, the economy and providing care? It is food service workers. Right. Who is it that's going to be uh, running to the grocery store and bringing things to your door? Who, who is it that, that is, uh, you know, whose work is considered the most important in terms of, say, getting rid of food waste? Who, who is it that's looking after water treatment plants? Who are the engineers who are taking care of sewage? Who are the, uh, the solid waste workers who are uh, in, engaged in you know, t taking your solid waste away from, from your front door. All of these workers are in, in uh, parlous situations and uh, being given absolutely no respect in uh, the, the narrative of, uh, of, uh, of COVID-19. Um, so no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and the, the real worry here is that we are in this moment of what Naomi Klein calls disaster capitalism, yeah. where yeah. because the crisis licenses uh, certain kinds of neoliberal extremism, um, all of a sudden you see social security being raided and defunded to the extent that now it becomes a, a non-viable proposition in the future. Uh, those kinds of uh, you know, assaults on workers are incredibly dangerous right now uh, and they target absolutely the, the most vulnerable um, and the, you know, the, the, the most economically disadvantaged groups uh, in society. And we have to fight together um, as we care for one another to recognize the politics of that care. Yeah, I mean, we're putting people who are already at risk at even more risk. And, and it's just, you know, that that it, it's unconscionable to me that that's happening in, in this time of crisis. I know you've been very involved in the Austin Food Policy Council. I'm sure you're having discussions about how to deal with, you know, elders in the community or children who are out of school and at risk. What advice do you have? You're a parent as well. Do you have advice for how to sort of deal with you know, what you're personally going through and what others are going through in your community? What, what are you, what, what, what are you talking to people about in, in your neighborhood? Um, well, I mean, obviously, uh, like folk across the, the country and across the world, we're, um, you know, in touch with neighbors, particularly uh, elderly or immunocompromised neighbors to make sure that they've got everything they need. Um, you know, I'm, part of, of, of neighborhood associations where we're all volunteering to run to the store or whatever it is to, uh, to get whatever folk need. Um, on top of that, uh, there are, in, if we're thinking about the food system, there are some structural things that are worth observing here. Um, sustainable food is expensive. Uh, okay. to, to do things that are uh, organic and where workers are provide a dignified wage, that's hard. And many of the ways that uh, farms have figured out to, to manage that is by selling directly to restaurants. Mm -hmm. um, those restaurants are shutting down right now. And uh, one of the ways that folk who are interested in the food system can support those, um, those farms is by signing up for community-supported agriculture initiatives. Um, so, you know, th there's now uh, many local sustainable farms have capacity in their CSAs. Absolutely. And this is a good time of year to get in. This is just Absolutely. when everything's coming. Uh, coming on stream. 
Um, so, you know, if, if you're wondering how you're going to get fresh fruits and vegetables, um, don't panic by, you know, tins of rubbish at, um, at your local right. supermarket. Um, right. And, you know, insofar as you can avoid the supermarket, you're already uh, doing the food system a favor, right? I mean, you're, you're moving away from ultra-processed to uh, regional, local, sustainable, seasonal. Um, and CSAs are a great way to go to support both local farms and the infrastructure that, that they, uh, you know, that, that's been taken away from them. You, you can be that infrastructure. So Absolutely. that's certainly uh, something to step into. I just want to make sure that our listeners, CSAs are those box subscription services that you can um, sign up for and get, you know, fresh, healthy produce from a local farmer. Um, they're called CSAs. Not everyone knows what they mean. But yeah, I think that's a no, no, no. I, I just want to make sure that everyone understands. And that's a wonderful way to support uh, local farmers who I, I, you know, if I imagine a lot of them are, are very, very worried um, right now. There won't be a lot of open farmers markets over the next few months. They they need to have those consumers and those customers supporting them. And also, I mean, you you know so many chefs and great restaurants in Austin. Those uh, here in Baltimore, where I live, you you can't go to a restaurant, but you can go pick up um, you know takeout. It's another great way to to keep those those local businesses going and and you know stay away from chains and and really support the the local cooks and 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 restaurant tours who are trying to do the right thing. Yeah, I mean here. Uh, the, a lot of the, the restaurants have closed um, and those workers are um, you know trying now to, to we're looking for ways um, to find institutional positions for some of those workers uh, you know right now healthcare needs are through the roof and good yeah. healthy meals in uh, in uh, a healthcare system uh, is important and we're, we're trying to sort of figure out how to stitch all that together um, but if you're able uh, donating to uh, locals, you know, to sort of community food centers is important. Volunteering your time uh, and also, you know, volunteering for things like Meals on Wheels is important because not everyone can make it. You know, even in the best of times, can uh, can't make it to uh, some of these provisioning centers. Uh, and so, insofar as you're able to be mobile and able to uh, join Meals on Wheels, that's um, that's important. I mean, unfortunately, Austin is uh, no longer accepting new volunteers, but there are ways through resources and through donations to be able to support some of that. Um, and I, mean, I think this is this is the opportunity here is to recognize the care that can knit this community right. together uh, right. in ways that can become and must be political. Uh, I think, yeah. you know, uh, the, the hard part of all this um, is that we do need to use this uh, as an organizing moment just as the right are. They're, they're not wasting a moment here in, you know, in cutting back okay. workers' rights. Um, we have to absolutely see this as they do, as, as a moment where we come together and, and you know, our power lies in having so many of us caring for one another, not you know, writing bills, but actually doing the work here. Uh, and that offers an opportunity, I think, that's well worth us stepping into, uh, organizing and having difficult political conversations, because if you don't do it now, when are you going to do it? Right. That's such a great point. And I mean, that's something that like, I think all of us in, in the so-called food movement have been grappling with. Is there a food movement if we don't have political power? And if we can use this as an opportunity to really organize and mobilize in a cohesive way and have these uncomfortable discussions that you're describing, this might be, a, you know, a really the opportunity to do that and make sure that, you know, food and and healthcare and and all the things that you know we should all care about that should be nonpartisan issues are put front and center finally and get the support and investment that they need. But so, Danny, what are you seeing as the major blockages to that? 
I mean, I, we have terrible political leadership at the federal level. And I think this is, you know, the, the, we're going to see much more. We've already seen it with um, climate change and issues like food waste. We're going to see more of that uh, leadership coming from towns and villages and, and governors and, you know, uh, others who are not part of, of federal government systems. They are going to be taking the lead because their their constituencies want these things, you know, uh, the way to create a revolution, as we all know, you're you're a better historian than I am, is if people are hungry, then then you know things change. And and I don't want the world to get in that kind of place, but we need that leadership and we need people who care about these issues to, you know, be, become part of, of those leadership uh, uh, areas and you know start running for office, be part of these political debates and, and really make noise. Um, I, I think that's the only way we can get to where we need to go. I, I, I think you're right, and I, uh, my, my great fear is that this, uh, that COVID-19 happens in a time of climate change. It's not like climate change right. has stopped. Right. Um, and, and, you know, when the next big, uh, you know, climate disaster happens, um, it's going to put a lot of people out of home, and then what's going to happen? Everyone's going to get, have to find, you know, a, a big church hall to sleep in, right. uh, and that's exactly the opposite of what it is that we need to be doing in the era of COVID-19. And all of a sudden, you have these uh, individual uh, emergencies that are disasters at the worst of times, uh, and now you know, a disaster at the best of times, and now of course that they they compound one another. Absolutely. Um, and the worry for me is uh, that we can't look terribly far uh, up the political mm -hmm. food chain. Um, certainly not uh, in Texas, but but in general, um, for the kind of leadership that's thinking that far ahead. Um, and that's why I'm you know I'm I'm really interested in hearing what you're hearing from uh, food movements, uh, from you know, unions, from cooperatives, who are thinking more systemically and more structurally about how it is we can knit all this together. And I, I'm, I certainly am hearing my uh, colleagues who are working on the Green New Deal, um, observing that, in fact, this is the moment where we can push for an economy of care and repair. Um, but uh, certainly uh, the Trump administration isn't ready to listen. Um, in Texas, uh, the Re Republicans aren't terribly keen on it either. But uh, who who is keen on it is the majority of people who are affected by right. this disaster. And right. I think that, you know, it's the conversations and the love with which we bring to, um, you know, our, our you know, daily support of one right. another that can actually make that happen um, in a way where we're organizing through our movements rather than organizing, uh, you know, just sort of tweeting yeah. away. Or, uh, right. And I think that, that, you know, even though, it, and this is the irony, right, that, that, that here we are isolated, um, but it's also a, an optimal time to organize as we care for one another moving out of our isolation. I think that's um, that's not something that many of us have experienced because we haven't had the this kind of emergency happen in our lifetimes. Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought up the word love. I mean, this is, you know, love of, of humanity and love of humankind and trying to figure out ways to care for one another. I was talking to um, a nonprofit yesterday that works with school districts to, you know, help um, cook meals from scratch and provide healthy school lunches and other healthy uh, school meals. And, you know, they're getting, you know, so many schools have been shut down, as we all know, but they're getting a lot of support from people who just want to help and they want to donate money. And what they're trying to do right now is listen and bring all those school districts together and share information as widely as possible about how different school districts are dealing with mobile feeding and making sure that kids who are depending on schools 
for not you know just lunch but breakfast and dinner as well how that that can continue so that those kids don't go hungry and it's just you know it's a different way of of thinking about what the political system looks like the you know these school districts have a lot of power and a lot of opportunity and and, and you know a lot of care inherent in what they do so helping them figure this out is you know this crisis out is is really really important and 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 in its own political movement in its own way uh, as we're seeing well, but, and that's it, uh, Danny. I, I think you know what, what you put your finger on there is a moment where there are communities uh, in which we are embedded, but where we may not see uh, those who are uh, you know who, who who need support right now. Uh, one of the worries about uh, some of the things I'm hearing uh, in terms of support around COVID and support around the food system um, is that. As much as we may dislike the president's America First agenda, um, we we run the danger of parochializing our own love. Right. We run the danger of thinking this is only happening in America, um, and it isn't. Um, there are you know the the, the 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 hardest hit places in the uh, the nineteen eighteen pandemic um, were in fact Western India, where uh, the British had. Uh, instituted the modern food system where, where right. you know uh, Indians were forced to export grain uh, in order to um, you know have enough money in order to be able to survive sure. um, and those modern trading systems meant that uh, the shock of the um, uh, back then that what you know what, what was called Spanish flu h1n1 was um, uh, uh, projected into Western India. And the majority of, more than half the people who died in the last pandemic in 1918 died in India. And wow. uh, it, it's important to remember that the deaths that will happen from uh, COVID-19 will predominantly happen outside this country because of things this country has done. Uh, in the way that this country has fragmented healthcare systems in, in, you know, in, in order to make them more efficient uh, under the guidance of you know, things like the, um, the, the World Bank or uh, through you know, the, the, the trade regimes that uh, syst systemically weaken and uh, prohibit the, 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 the sort of creation of um, grain storage, for example, and food right. storage. Right. Uh, because you know, here in the United States, we're fine. You know, there, there isn't a food shortage. Um, we can always buy food from wherever in the world we need it, and it will be shipped to us. But what about those places? Uh, you know, we, we need to be thinking very hard about how it is that, uh, that you know, what we owe the, the planet in this moment, where uh, you know the harms we have caused structurally uh, are now um, you know are, are being sort of projected through, uh, through through the world system. Absolutely, absolutely, such a such a great reminder. Of, you know, we we're still responsible for the all the all the bad stuff that we've done and we we need to figure that out that this isn't just about us it's about the whole world and well, that's, and I mean, we're dealing with it that's right. just because something shitty to us as sh shitty is happening to us it doesn't mean that we're not responsible for, for that happening elsewhere in the world works uh, and it's it's hard uh, i mean you know th that's not a message we're hearing a whole lot of right now but it's really important to remember that that uh, our solidarity and love for one another does have to be international and our responsibilities have to be international too yeah particularly absolutely. us as privileged as we are sitting here. No, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I, I want to go back to the, the New Green Deal that you brought up before. And I know you've been working so closely with IPIS 
um, to, to, you know, study what a new food economy could look like for the United States, but also, you know, other parts of the world. Can you tell us a little bit about that work and what's hopeful so that we have some positive things to think about while we're going through this, the, this sort of uh, isolation from one another? Well, Danny, I think certainly the work that we're doing at IPES Food, IPES-Food, which is the International Panel of Experts on Sustainable Food Systems, um, you know, what we're doing is, again, listening. We're listening to um, movements in the United States and hearing uh, the points of concern, the points of tension and the points of conflict as, uh, you know, we, we imagine what it might be like for a food movement uh, in the United States to actually develop. Uh, a, a new policy. Um, more importantly, though, I, th I think the, the broader coalitions that are emerging around the Green New Deal, not just in the food system, but link linking the food system to housing, to transportation, to energy, okay. to healthcare, um, those movements are alive and they're doing great things. So uh, if folk want hope, uh, you know, the, the Sunrise Movement um, is a place that right. I, you know, that, that, that I constantly am amazed by the, the the power and the urgency and the clarity of uh, the activists there um but the movement so for young green too. New Deal, oh sorry i mean they're What's young and like yeah exactly they're like geniuses and they're they're they want to change things and they're not taking no for an answer i love i love getting their their missives uh you know over email they're amazing so yeah i think that's such a great example Keep but going. that's Sorry. no, no, no. But that's it. I mean, and wherever in the world we're seeing these transformations and movements towards sustainable, uh, you know, food systems, um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm heartened. I mean, right now, for example, uh, the, the sustainable food movement is also in a position to be able to say, hey, you know what? If you want a food system that isn't uh, connected to, you know, that, that isn't a sort of conduit for. Uh, uh, poor health um, that doesn't create uh, the conditions in which uh, you know the, 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 these kinds of zoonotic diseases are more likely to, to jump species. Then what you want is a sustainable food system. Right. Um, and those movements articulating with movements saying, "Hey, you know what? Uh, what we need is much more sustainable, uh, you know, care and repair of our relationship to one another and to the planet." Mm -hmm. Those ideas are popping up everywhere from Algeria to, uh, you know, to, to the European Union, uh, yeah. the United Kingdom, and here in the United States and uh, Canada with the LEAP Manifesto. All of these, I think, are grounds for hope. Um, and I, I very much hope that uh, folk watching now will be able to track down those groups through your website, Danny. We will provide those links. One of the things that I've been thinking about a lot lately is some of my friends have, you know, kids who are home from college or who are college seniors who are now, you know, essentially graduated. And, you know, I, I think it's good to remember that these are kids with, with a lot of time or young people with a lot of time on their hands and not knowing what to do with the energy that they have been, you know, devoting to their studies or activism on campuses. And it's a good reminder that there are, you know, a million other sort of Greta Thunbergs out there. What What's your advice? At, because you're a professor and you work with young people all the time. What's your advice for those those students who are, you know, home now from really all over the world because their college campuses have been shut down? Um, How can well, they get involved? I, I certainly think that that volunteering uh, and donating your time and energy, not just to making sure that that folk in your neighborhood are 
uh, well taken care of um, in ways that are you know that, that, that follow the social distancing protocols, but um, that, that take care of you and the the folk in your neighbourhood. That's a good idea. But beyond that, um, getting involved in the politics uh, and in the uh, you know movements like Sunrise, for example, uh, like the movement for a Green New Deal, uh, those organisations offer a way of bringing the politics to bear uh, and provide political language and education. Um, in ways that can make this useful time and make your studies and make your being at home right now uh, not just a kind of moment of treading water, but a moment of, of mind expansion and political expansion for you. Absolutely. And that reminds me, you know, you, you are a co-host of a really great podcast. Do you want to give a a short uh, um, sure. description I mean, if, of it. I think <laughs> people, that. people have a lot of time on their hands right now and they should be learning and you're one of well, the best it, people to learn from. You'll flatter away, Danny. Uh, the, the, <laughs> the, uh, together with Tom Philpot, who is the uh, environment and food correspondent for Mother Jones magazine, and uh, Rebecca McEnroy, who's a producer at the uh, local NPR station KUT here in Austin, um, we put together something called The Secret Ingredient. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you're interested in food politics and food history, um, then The Secret Ingredient is a podcast uh, that may be of some interest. Um, you know, the, the sort of slug line is that we won't tell you what to eat, but we can tell you why you're eating it. Uh, so, right. you know, we, we uh, do a sort of deep history of capitalism, colonialism, and death. Um, so at least <laughs> at, at some point every week, either capitalism, colonialism, death, or usually all three, will make some sort of appearance. Uh, and we are so uh, just about- so <laughs> Uh, and and we're, we're just doing a, a, a you know we we finished a, actually a, a good series on the Green New Deal um, right. last season and we're just starting a, a new season on COVID nineteen so um, visit thesecretingredient.org for more on that. I can't wait! I can't wait, Raj. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you for thank inspiring you, me. Um, yeah. Everyone should catch uh, the Secret Ingredient. Uh, Raj, I'll, I'll look forward to talking to you again soon and hopefully in person in a few months. Looking forward to that, Danny. Looking forward Thanks, to it. Thanks, Raj. Be safe out there. Bye-bye. Thanks to all of our, our uh, viewers today. If you want more information about Raj Patel, you can go to foodtank.com. And uh, hopefully you'll, we'll see you again um, this time tomorrow with more uh, information from experts on everything from COVID-19 to food and farming, to food loss and food waste. Thank you all so much. Thanks so much for listening to Food Talk with Danny Nirenberg. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share the podcast. Make sure to return to foodtank.com every day for original reporting and analysis on the most pressing issues impacting our food system.